This is Anabaptist Perspectives. This is Anabaptist Perspectives, and we are back to talk about money again. This series has presented some suspicion of things like interest, usury, as we talked about in the episode about economics and pre-modern Catholicism. But there's a positive vision or something that we can believe in rather than just critiquing abuses. And Stephen Russell is with us again to talk about something called distributism. So introduce us to distributism. Well, the previous episode was about Catholicism especially and its view of money. And um, this view called distributism also comes out of modern Catholicism. I think that it's valid for us to own the whole of the great tradition, all of how Christianity has developed and come to think about various issues. And so I think it's good for us to look at some others and see how they have uh, developed their thinking. Distributism is something that arose at the end of the 1800s as Europe and the West in general started to experience some definitely harmful aspects of the Industrial Revolution. Because of that, there was uh, a lot of turmoil among the working people, and uh, out of that comes socialism and Marxism. The thrust there is uh, revolution and destruction, destroy those that have wealth and spread it out, redistribute it. That's not what distributism is about. Pope Leo XIII became quite aware of the problems. It's probable that the fact that many, many, many years after the Industrial Revolution had already started, as the problems mount and, and the uh, workers start to get upset about their situation, that's probably what woke the Catholic Church up. There's a problem here. We've got to do something about it. And Leo XIII issued an a encyclical called Rerum Novarum, which is, means about new things. The point here was to say that the economy is developing in a, in a certain way, and we need to think about new ways to help people. Because right now, things are going in a bad direction. Poor people are getting poorer. Rich people are getting richer. So anyway, he recognized this. He stated that work is good and that people ought to be invested in their work. Now, at this point, that was mostly farming. And so one of, the, one of his points was, it's good for people to actually own their own land and provide for themselves, their families, and perhaps have extra so that they can sell that, the extra and, and buy other things that they might need. But the emphasis was, uh, work is good and we need to get people invested in their work and what they're doing make it something that they can actually own and be excited about. And then distributism sort of comes out of his writing Rerum Novarum. It comes out of that, and uh, especially some uh, English Catholics started talking about how to do this, how to practically do this. Chesterton is one of them, and another man is named Belloc. I think it would be good to uh, talk about what their aim was in trying to develop this idea that Pope had talked about, that it's good for us to be invested in what we're doing, the kind of work we're doing, that, that it actually is something that, you know, I can do this work and I can be proud of it. I'm proud that I can take care of my family. These English Catholics uh, said that the focus, and, and they were getting their ideas from the Pope, their focus should be on the family, not on individuals. This was definitely, the, the modern world was moving towards 
a focus on the individual. The individual is important and they weren't denying that, but the essential unit of society is the family. Something needs to be done that would strengthen the family and make it sort of the, the key aspect of society. The point of distributism isn't redistributing wealth. It is enabling people by somehow distributing the means of production, helping each person to develop his skills, to develop the, the gifts God's given him. So if he's a farmer, help him have a farm and farm well. And uh, if he's a blacksmith, help him to get the tools he needs and get his little shop started. If he's uh, well, some anything else, it doesn't really matter what it is. The best thing is when uh, the family, if possible, and maybe a little bit, maybe the extended family, if it needs to be a larger enterprise. There's a focus there for those people to flourish. And that means the emphasis isn't on making a lot of money. The emphasis is on uh, helping each person to develop the skills that he has and to develop other things. Like if I have a gifting to sing or to play an instrument, I should be able to produce enough that I have time for other things. I have time for people. I have time for uh, learning an instrument. I have time for reading things. I have time to go to church and actually help out there. The individual, that the family, that people in general become what they can become. The emphasis is on small is good, small is beautiful. The emphasis is on promoting local things. So rather than having a big company that produces some kind of food or something that all over the country, the emphasis is let's learn to do things well and let's uh, have each person become basically a craftsman, a person who can do well whatever it is that he feels gifted in. Now, what I've talked about is mostly family-sized businesses. Some things have to be bigger than that. It just has to be. So for instance, if you want to build trains, you need a company bigger than, I mean, I don't think you and your wife can build a train. And I can't build a Boeing 777. There are companies that need to be bigger than that. Distributism would say the best way to do that is to have a co-op, have a company where at least as many as possible of the employees are actually, they have a, a part in that company. They actually own it to some degree. There is a particular example of this that I think is a, a really good thing to think about. In Spain, after World War II, the economy was not that good. And in Northern Spain, there was a priest who was concerned about this, and he started to try to practice uh, distributivist principles in a town called Mondragon. He started a company uh, called Mondragon because of the town. This is a fascinating story. I don't know exactly where they are today, but they started several different co-ops to do um, industrial work, to do financial work, to do retail work, and even educational work. The people that were, at least originally, that were part of the company were, in essence, holders of that company. They were co-op, they were in a co-op. So they're huge nowadays. They, they have about 80,000 workers. They have um, factories in over 100 countries, I believe. I'm not quite sure if they've held on to all of their uh, ideals. As you get bigger, that's always a, a problem. Some of the reading I've done sounds like uh, some people have felt that the original care 
that each person had for the other is is missing maybe maybe at least sometimes today but one of the fascinating things is the point is that we are in this together and and that would mean things like let's say if uh, my father was sick and i need to take care of him if i'm one of the people that's a part owner of this co-op i probably can get some time off somebody will fill in for me and later on i will fill in for somebody else there's that kind of flexibility because I own it. I'm part. I, I'm, I'm one of the people that owns it. One of their ideals is that all of the people that are, are part of the co-op make decisions together, at least as much as possible. And one of the fascinating ways they do this is they recognize that the, the uh, managerial staff has more responsibility and should be paid more. But it's the people in that particular department that get together and decide what multiple of the incoming wage for a person coming into the company, what multiple of that does the, the person, the management at the top get? Have I asked you before if you, about what, what that might be? I think so. Yeah. Do you remember what they were? I don't remember, but it seemed low. It was very low. There are many departments under Mondragon, the Mondragon co uh, Cooperative uh, Company, and each one of them will decide what, what multiple the management gets. It goes anywhere from three to nine. Three times the entry or nine times the entry. And I think I read somewhere that uh, roughly five is the average for the, all of the Mondragon departments. That's amazing. And I, I read somewhere that in the United States, the people who um, are managing companies usually are getting hundreds of times the entry uh, salary. So it's a very different approach to running a company. It uh, involves those people because of ownership and because of helping to make decisions. It involves directly the people that work there. So it's more than just working there. I'm not working there for a salary. This is actually something that I own in the sense of I claim that it's important to me. Mm -hmm. So distributism emphasizes family and what's local. But what you're describing here sounds like there might be principles that would also apply to larger companies. Yes, but even the larger company is going to be a co-op of some, of some sort, a mutual, a corporation or an organization where um, there's a, a mutual ownership and, and responsibility back and forth. Mm -hmm. So before I began to talk with you about economics, mm -hmm. I never heard of distributism. So I guess I'm wondering, is this really a thing? Like you mentioned Pope Leo, you mm -hmm. mentioned Chesterton, English Catholics, this company called Mondragon. Mm -hmm. But like, I guess I'm wondering, who takes this seriously? Is it really a codified economic theory or what could we direct our audience towards, towards like Good. the definitive definition of distributism? Well, um, Chesterton was a big uh, motivator for this whole concept. And I would suggest reading his book, uh, What's Wrong with the World? That gives you some sense of what he thinks a well-functioning economy might look like, or actually society. It's broader than just the economy. He also has a, a book was put together recently called The Hound of Distributism. So it's articles that he wrote. So those would be two, two things one could look at and read. Um, there are people out there that are writing about it today uh, from a modern perspective, how it could work in the modern world. Mondragon is an example of a large corporation that um, is functioning as a co-op, working together. There's one in northern um, Italy, I can't remember the name of that, 
there was a small um, group of artists and artisans in England that functioned for about 70 years. They had trouble passing on the vision. So from about 1920 to 19, I think it was 1989, it was called the Guild of St. Joseph and St. Dominic. And um, they lived to, oh, I have a quote about their motto. Let me see if I can find that. Men, this is the, the uh, motto for that guild of artisans uh, in England uh, that was called the Guild of St. Joseph and St. Dominic. Men rich in virtue, studying beautifulness, living in peace in their houses. It kind of expresses the whole thing. Living in virtue, looking for beauty, producing beauty, living in your own home peacefully. I think it's beautiful. And so there are people that have done it, but one of the key things is it can't be imposed by government. Now, I think government can perhaps provide a setting through the laws that makes it possible. But by and large, distributists would say government can't do this. This has to be something that committed believers start to do one by one. I have some friends that live near Pittsburgh, and they purposefully look for small farmers that they can go to to get milk and eggs and other things. It's a little thing, but it's something. I think that we ought to think about that as a way to help. You know, it might cost a little more to go to the private farmer and, and get the milk there or get the eggs there. But there's actually something that you're encouraging that is uh, more important than maybe the extra money you're spending. So yeah, it, it is a thing. Catholics are more aware of it probably than anybody else. I think that this is how most, Anabap most conservative Anabaptists actually approach life something like this. They care for the family. They care about the business and their skills that they have. The thing that I like about distributism is if we read about it and they have actually thought through why, why they're doing it and what some of the pitfalls are and how to do it well. I think when we don't actually think consciously about intellectually why we should do this and how we should do it, we're in danger of eventually losing it. So I'm, I'm suggesting let's look at distributism and see how it fits in with what we have traditionally tended to do and learn from it and maybe improve it and do better ourselves. What there, there have been some political parties that are distributist. Uh, in Canada, the Social Credit Party um, is distributist. And I have a quote from, from them. Systems were made for man and not man for systems. And the interest of man, which is self-development, is above all systems, whether theological, political, or economic. The same party, the Social Credit Party, uh, makes a point that what they're aiming for is that eventually every man shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree and, shall, and, no, and no one shall make him afraid. And does that ring any bells with you? Yes, it does. Yeah, it's, it's from Micah 4.4, and it's also very similar to um, Zechariah uh, 3.10. So they're not exactly a religious party, but they're, they're saying that they see the kind of concern that's in the Old Testament is something we need for today. But I'm always a little suspicious about getting too, uh, well, I'm, I don't think po politics is a place for a Christian anyway, but I also think that this approach to economics, it really is something that has to be done individually or by family and being committed. And I think that, yeah, government can perhaps 
make it easier for those things to happen, but I'm a little nervous when it tries to become the motivator there. I don't think it's gonna work too well in the long run. I think maybe that's a crucial point because it sounds to me like at least some of the concerns that distributism is responding to are ones that the socialists also want to respond mm -hmm. to. Mm -hmm. But what you said a bit earlier, I think is important in that distributism shouldn't be imposed by the state. Mm -hmm. And that would be a pretty clear distinction between it and socialism, and in some ways other political theories also that try to demand that economics happen a certain way that's imposed by the state. And you, you bring out an important issue. Uh, you brought up socialism. Distributism is trying to take a path that's between the kind of laissez-faire capitalism that was uh, being experienced in the late 1800s and the, the state socialism that, the, that Marx and, and other people were starting to say is the solution to that problem. And this says that both of those are an accumulation of wealth and power in a few hands and that in either in any case that's wrong it's dangerous it brings bad results distributism is about the uh, things that develop wealth are distributed among many people and that uh, the wealth itself isn't all heaped up by just one person i think it's to a large degree it's an attempt to get us to recognize that our security isn't in heaping up a lot of wealth that our security is first of all in God, but also in his people. Instead of a, a kind of cutthroat economic system where I, I'm trying to undersell you, you know, to, to get as much uh, business as I can, distributism would actually say we should, we should kind of help each other. I'll, I will have my little farm here and I will um, provide food in this area, you'll provide food in another area. And we actually might end up helping each other rather than going after each other. We're trying to buy you. I'm, I'm not going to try and undersell you, and then you you go bankrupt. So then I buy your farm. It's a whole different approach, and it's it's uh, that's why it can't be imposed imposed by the government. It, it's got to be something in here. There's one more thing I wanted to say. I mentioned Mondragon, an American sociologist, went to uh, see what's going on in that town in northern Spain, which is the hub of the of this corporation. This is what she said. Her name is uh, Barbara Peters, and she teaches at Southampton College, which is a part of Long Island University. And she said, in Mondragon, I saw no signs of poverty. I saw no signs of extreme wealth. I saw people looking out for each other. It's a caring form of capitalism. So it is a kind of capitalism. People own their own things, but it's not the kind of capitalism that the emphasis is on, I need to heap up lots and lots and lots of money. I just think this is a, a marvelous uh, testimony from someone that I, I don't know what her religious belief would be but uh, or her um, uh, views on economics. But as a sociologist, she's saying, this town is really strange. It's not quite what you'd expect. As I mentioned earlier, uh, distributism was developed out of um, some writings of especially two popes, Leo XIII and Pius XI. And I would just like to read a quote from their writings that I think will help us see, as I mentioned, this is about how I think, what, what's in my heart. Leo said that when this um, approach is taken, that people will learn to love the very soil which yields in response to the labor of their hands, not only food to eat, but an abundance of good things uh, for themselves and for those who are dear to them. 
So approaching my innate desire to work in the right way actually brings lots of good things. Then Pius XI said, um, this is another aspect of, of uh, distributism, and that is that you try to do things on the proper level, and that usually means you try to do things at the lowest level possible. So if you and I are having a problem, the lowest level would be, let's try to talk this out. If we can't talk it out, then maybe we'll bring our families in, or maybe we'll bring the church in. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so usually the emphasis on, and this is called subsidiarity. Subsidiarity is a part of distributism. And it, it doesn't just mean going to the lowest level, it's the proper level. So there are some things that the federal government should do. And the proper thing is to go to the federal government then. But usually that's, the, our uh, usual inclination is to go upstream and get somebody higher up to tell, tell us down here what to do. And subsidiarity says, hey guys, develop the, the relationships at the lowest level and deal with issues at the lowest level or the proper level. But anyway, so in light of that, Pius XI said this, and he was writing about this whole issue of um, uh, distributism. Just as it is gravely wrong to take from individuals what they can accomplish by their own incentive and industry and give it to the community, so also it is an injustice and at the same time a grave evil and disturbance of right order to assign to a greater and higher association what lesser and subordinate organizations can do. So once again, the whole thrust is about becoming the kind of person we ought to be. In my work, becoming the kind of person I ought to be. When there are issues that need to be dealt with, becoming the kind of person that I ought to be, rather than going upstream and saying, okay, let's have somebody else figure this whole thing out. I think it's beautiful. It's about developing our natures, our human nature. Mm -hmm. What does distributism have to offer to the entrepreneurs and employees who are listening to this? Well, what I just mentioned, which is, if I am fully invested in my work because it fits the giftings that God has given me, and it enables me in a good way to provide for those that I'm responsible for, and it also gives me an opening to do something for the community, because my work uh, is going to at least be needed by somebody in the community. It opens up this whole different approach where who I am and what I do is actually important instead of, I work here to make a paycheck so that I can go out on the weekend and have a wild time. So it's a totally different approach. So that's for the worker, but I think that fits for the the owner, too, um, he's going to have different kind of workers. If he's actually somehow engaged his workers in becoming part of his business, in other words, maybe owning something in it, or maybe giving good bonuses at the end of the year. I don't think there's any one way this has to be done, but I think he's going to, the owner of a business is going to have better employees, uh, pe people who are more uh, engaged and committed to what he is doing. And another thing is, the emphasis is not on becoming big. Some things you need to be big, and Mondragon is an example of having a large company, but maybe an advantage to at least some employers would be that they could actually help someone else. Let's just say if someone is, a, is working on construction, he has several construction crews, maybe instead of adding more and more crews, he could 
help someone that he has seen has really good potential to start his own construction company. He doesn't have to feel that pressure of figuring out what five crews are going to do or what 10 crews are going to do and what he's got to do with the government and all that. He can actually help others develop their giftings and he doesn't have to bear the weight of having this big, big company. Now, I'm not a businessman, so uh, maybe a businessman will howl and laugh at what I'm saying, but maybe maybe there's some truth to it. Yeah. Well, both of us are employees and work for somebody else, so <laughs> the practical implications of this um, are a bit different for us. Yeah. This sounds very compelling. Um, I should think about it more before I commit, but this sounds very compelling. <laughs> uh, before we end, can we mention again the resources that you spoke about? Two Chesterton books, right? Two Chesterton. One is a, a book that he wrote called What's Wrong with the World? And the other one is a recent compilation of some of his essays on distributism, and I believe it's called The Hound of Distributism. So those would be two places to go to. You can Google distributism and you will find uh, some modern writers on it. If you have a Catholic neighbor, you might ask, they might know, they might be involved in trying to be distributist in how they do their shopping and, and how they do their work. Because they're, they're the people that I would say mostly are aware of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'll be in touch with you after this interview and we'll find some links and put those in the show notes okay. so our audience will be able to look up these books and Good. resources. Good. Well, thank you so much for talking with us about distributism. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. For more information about Anabaptist Perspectives, to read our blog, to donate, and to see videos of the conversations you hear on this podcast, visit anabaptistperspectives.org. We love to hear from our audience, so leave your feedback in the comments for this podcast or send us a message through our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We invite you to join our monthly partner program. Monthly partners are key to the financial sustainability of Anabaptist Perspectives. Partners also gain access to bonus content, including our exclusive podcast where we respond to audience questions and comments. Sign up at anabaptistperspectives.org.